0: Money FM 89.3, best of the evening runway. Under the radar.
1: You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tian Now, this is the conversation for you if you're looking to travel the world and sail the seas season, the upcoming December holidays. Now, founded in 1969, our guest, Royal Caribbean International, is the world's largest cruise line with a fleet of over 28 ships and more coming along the way. The firm prides itself on its history of innovation from being the firm with the first surf simulator to the fastest internet at sea. It also has a global network across major sea routes. Now just to give you a sense of Royal Caribbean's uh, global footprint, its fleets visited 256 ports in 64 countries on six continents around the world back in 2017. But how important is Asia to Royal Caribbean in the bigger scheme of things? And what is the role of Singapore as a market, given how it was one of the first to allow ships to be homeported during the pandemic? And how far will the firm's attention shift from Singapore to China post-pandemic with Asia's largest cruise ship, the Spectrum of the Seas, returning back to its original home port of Shanghai in May 2024? the meanwhile Disney Cruise Line has signed a deal to home port its newest cruise ship here in Singapore for the first time. What does that mean for Royal Caribbean and what will it take for the firm to home port even larger ships here in Singapore? Well, lots of questions. For the answers, let's speak to Bert Hernandez, Senior VP, at Royal Caribbean International, but welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Great to have you on board on our show as well. And we've briefly talked about how Royal Caribbean is the world's largest cruise line, a fleet of over 28 ships. Tell us more about that. And also, how would you describe your value proposition and business model?
0: Well, yes. So as you mentioned, we are the the world's largest cruise brand. Um, We really play in this in this area where we uh, focus on large ships, we have a large ship format. Uh, I think something like seven of the 10 largest ships in the world are from our cruise brand. Um, We see this as driving tremendous value, tremendous economies of scale. Um, It allows us to offer more entertainment, better entertainment, um, more attractions and amenities. So, that's kind of the value proposition that that we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give you a sense of where that is, uh, before the pandemic, we saw about a 15 percent uh, discount, if you will, or mm-hmm. value premium to land vacations. And that now, since the pandemic, has gone between 35 and 45 percent. So the value proposition of a cruise is enormous. Um, you can get more bang for your buck. And uh, we see the demand at all time high because of that.
1: Right, and I was looking at an earlier document released by the company a number of years back. It stated specifically that Royal Caribbean International appeals to venture-seeking families and couples and singles. Now, notably, you gave an age uh, group of in their 30s to 50s. So who would you then describe as your customers? What is the average spending power?
0: Yeah. So, you know, globally, the average medium income is about $125,000, mm-hmm. uh, but we are fantastic for families. We obviously cater to families um, and multi-generational families as well. Um, the cruising dynamic is such that you can provide a great experience for all kinds of, of tastes. Um, the kids are well taken care of and entertained and they love it. Mm. The parents also have the ability to shop and dine at some of the finest restaurants. So it's a it's an ideal product for families, for mm. multi-generational families particularly, um, and also for couples. So it, it really kind of it hits the entire spectrum of, of what you would look for.
1: Mm, so 30 to 50 is to get where people would have children. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Right. And let's take a look at the destinations you guys serve, right? I believe uh, Royal Caribbean mentioned a number of years back, about 60% of your guests are North Americans, with international markets, including Asia and Latin America, taking up the remaining 40%. So how far is the case right now? Which are your biggest markets in totality?
0: Yeah. So obviously those numbers fluctuate depending on several factors, primarily currency, to be honest with you. It's one of the -hmm. the primary drivers of of the sourcing dynamics. But the U.S. is our biggest source market, um, followed by uh, countries in Asia and then the U.K. and Mexico. Um, Obviously, China pre-pandemic was our second biggest market. That has obviously changed Mm. considerably. Um, But we are expected to return in April of next year. And we think that's going to be the beginning of a new era for, for Chinese cruising.
1: We'll definitely talked about China in a bit. But let's talk about Asia as a whole. Uh, but how limited is Asia and also Singapore uh, as markets, considering the size of the population, the tourism activity, and also um, the connectivity they provide to the rest of the
0: world? Well, look, I mean, Singapore... Plays a very important, significant role in our overall strategy, particularly Asia strategy. Mm-hmm. It has a tremendous connectivity. Um, it has access to interesting ports, uh, interesting itineraries. Um, people feel safe traveling here. It's really our hub for uh, for the region and for the for the broader uh, market. Really, so. Asia, in general, is an important growing market. But for us, it's Singapore is where we really focus around. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with how uh, it evolved during the pandemic. Um, They were excellent at really being uh, forward thinking and opening earlier than any other market. Um, The cruise to nowhere Mm. product that was offered, that you mentioned that you, had, you yes. had experienced, was the first of its kind. And it was kind of the template that was used around the world. Mm. Uh, and Singapore really drove that. So, that provided or that exposed people to cruising that would never had considered it. Um, and it's continued. And so, the demand has grown. The the market size has broadened dramatically because of that. So, we see Singapore is definitely playing a, a very important role today and in the future.
1: Let's take a look specifically at Singapore and China. As you mentioned, uh, Singapore was one of the earlier ones to open up for cruises, and it has been a home port for the Spectrum of the Seas, which is Asia's largest cruise ships. Question is, now we've got China reopening, right? So how has the role of Singapore as a market to Royal Caribbean been during the pandemic how will it change now that china is opening up
0: um, i don't well look i think it'll change it'll it'll improve because china is the demographic prize if you will for mm-hmm. the region um, but it isn't great year-round so you do need seasonal support mm-hmm. um, and it also allows us to bring in really the premier top tier ships the newest ships the biggest ships um, The way it works is once one of these ships arrives into this part of the world, it stays here for (laughs) for a decade or so. So it it is going to help bring better ships, bigger ships. Um, Just because Spectrum is moving to China doesn't mean that Singapore is losing out on anything. It will get a new ship in, in its place and it will continue to grow. Uh, And so we're really excited about the prospects for Singapore.
1: Mm. So right to say that you guys are not shifting your focus back to North Asia. It is still within the region. Singapore still holds a a key role in that sense.
0: Yes, absolutely. It plays, you know, it has the opportunity to be a year-round product. It uh, has a the opportunity to be a multi-source product, globally-sourced product. It can do short itineraries, it can do long 12-night itineraries, which we've demonstrated. So it has tremendous flexibility and it has the airlift to support that type of strategy.
1: Mm. When China restarts, or as China restarts, yeah. right? do you foresee any teething issues after the cruise industry sort of comes back to life?
0: Well, look, I mean, we've been out of China now for, by the time we start, we'll be over four years. So mm-hmm. we are wondering what's left, right? The travel agencies obviously obviously suffered Mm -hmm. tremendously. Um, We do have the ability of having our own direct channels to help support the market. But there does seem to be early on tremendous demand for cruising, um, tremendous demand for, you know, for any type of vacation. And we can we can see that in our advanced bookings. One of the one of the benefits that uh, that we have with traveling or, or cruising to Japan and Korea is that Japan and Korea don't require visas Mm -hmm. for uh, chinese guests that are traveling via cruise so that provides you know the elimination of a Mm -hmm. of an additional hurdle that Mm -hmm. has been I guess, really constraining a little bit the Chinese travel uh, demand, because it is difficult to get visas. It's difficult to renew your passport at this moment. So we we are very optimistic. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it was one of our most profitable markets before the pandemic. We expect it to continue to be that. Um, You know, the trajectory of its growth has been delayed, I would say. Mm -hmm. But we have big plans not only for China, but for the region.
1: Mm, don't mind me following up. what is the growth rate for the region in your opinion
0: the great the growth rate of the region is really only constrained by the the infrastructure mm-hmm. so one of the things we've been talking about, and one of the reasons I'm here is to is to talk with you know the various government officials to try to explain some of the constraints that we're facing for destination development um you know Singapore definitely has a great terminal, but it doesn't. We don't have a lot of options to visit uh, from Singapore with the size of ships mm-hmm. that we that we deliver, uh, because the the infrastructure just isn't there. the the piers, the the terminals just aren't available. Um, so that's part of what we're trying to develop, and that will be the number one determinant in how fast we grow. The, the demographics are definitely in our favor. Um, the growing middle class, the propensity to travel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, increasing uh, vacation days. I think is another thing that people don't really <laughs> talk about, <laughs> but it's very important for us. Yes, um, Asia generally had. had a lot less vacation than, for instance, Australia. So mm-hmm. we we feel like it's all headed in the right direction. The the biggest obstacle is, is the infrastructure, and we're working through that.
1: Mm, let's hope we all get more vacation days. Now, yeah. if you're just <laughs> tuning in, we're now speaking to Bert Hernandez, Senior VP at Royal Caribbean International. He's now in town here in Singapore. Um, I know you have touched briefly about uh, what we're going to talk about in the next question, which is what will it really take for Royal Caribbean to put bigger and better ships here? Because if I recall correctly, Royal Caribbean has never homeported its biggest Oasis class ships in Asia. And likewise, the case uh, with the perhaps even larger icon ships that you're building right now. Mm-hmm. So they're mainly homeported in North America and also in Europe. So, really, what will it take for you to put out your best ships here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable that they will arrive. Uh, Just to give you an example, uh, Wonder of the Seas, which Mm -hmm. is the newest ship that's actually uh, sailing before ICON, was slated to come to China, Mm -hmm. was slated to to visit uh, Singapore and Hong Kong and other Asian ports. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously that changed with the pandemic, uh, but we expect it to resume. Again, the infrastructure is the one thing that we need to make sure that we have fixed so that we can offer great experiences to the guests if they're traveling out of Singapore mm-hmm. or Hong Kong or, or China. Um, we think we have enough viable ports to have an Oasis class here in, in the region. Mm-hmm. We, we hope to do that within the next couple of years. Obviously, once you make that bet, you've got to stick with it. You can't move ships around that easily (laughs) Um, in a ship of that size. Once it's here, it stays here. But Singapore also has a tremendous advantage. It's one of the few places on the planet where you can do a revitalization or a dry dock of of an Oasis class Mm -hmm. or Icon class Mm -hmm. size ship. So – we, de- we definitely have the facilities here to, to be able to repair ships, to do uh, modifications of the ships, which, again, is, a, is an important element in order to be able to expand to the larger ships within a market.
1: Mm, just for the sake of our listeners, the Oasis-class ships based in the U.S. can carry about 5,000 packs?
0: Yes. Yeah, around 5,000 packs. Yes, yeah. So
1: currently, the uh, ships they are here in Singapore around three 4,000?
0: About 4,000, yeah. four thousand five. So we're
1: talking yeah. about 20% increase in capacity. Well, let's zoom in on the competitive landscape in Singapore. Sure. Um, but because we are also seeing Disney Cruise Line signing a deal to HomePod, its newest cruise ship here in Singapore for the first time. Now, Disney, as we know, has never been a player here in Singapore uh, as far as I recall. So what does this really mean for Royal Caribbean? Is competition heating up for you guys?
0: Um, we, you know, look, we've we've experienced Disney coming into markets for many years. Yes. Obviously, when they entered into the North American market, they just mm-hmm. started in Australia. They have a very different price point yes. um, and, a, and a different price and value proposition, if mm-hmm. you will. They Indeed. cater to a different demographic. So it hasn't in the past affected our demand in an in, in, and in some ways, it's expanded the cruise market. Mm-hmm. Uh, it opens up cruising to populations that maybe don't consider it. Um, so I, you know, we're we're very supportive of them coming. We you know we understand the deal that uh, they have with the with the government. I think it's great. Um, we we welcome them, but we're not worried, and we think it actually in the end will help you know uh, educate people to the value of cruising.
1: Mm, so it's very different in terms of positioning. One is very much into a theme and powered by the Disney IP. The yes. other is very much focused on families.
0: Yeah, and that's well, I mean both obviously have families, but what mm. you'll see is the price point is, you yes. know, triple sometimes. And mm-hmm. and we're very happy with our pricing and we we do a great job on our financials, but they have smaller ships, they yes. have and generally speaking, they have smaller ships and you know, I don't know what their destination delivery is gonna look like, but generally they focus more on just the experience of the ship and not just and not the land portion.
1: Right. Before we let you go, Bert, what are some future plans for Royal Caribbean for the rest of this year and into the next, what can we expect out of Singapore and China?
0: Out of Singapore and China, I think you'll continue to see us developing the markets. Um, as you've alluded to, Icon of the Seas mm-hmm. will be coming out in in January. Yes, that is the most unbelievable ship I've had the you know the privilege of being able to visit the construction site in Finland. Um, it will be the world's largest and most expensive ship <laughs> ever built, um, and it really is something spectacular. Um, she'll debut in January, and then mm-hmm. she'll be followed by Utopia of the Seas, which mm-hmm. again is is an Oasis class ship that will come out in in the summer. Um, and then we're also looking at developing our destinations. We have a, a terrific destination development, private destination, in perfect day at Coco Cay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really been transformative for our financials and for yes. our company. We are looking at other places to potentially develop something like that. Um, obviously, we would love to do that in, in Asia. And mm-hmm. we were obviously looking at it uh, pre-pandemic. But there's there's a lot of opportunity. So I think, you know, we're really excited about not only the ships that are coming out next year, but our our new build uh, portfolio, uh, what mm-hmm. we have, our what we call our order book. We're really excited about our destination development, what we're what we're putting together there. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, getting back into China being able to prove that that is a sustainable market that we can de- develop and expand will be terrific and it will be great for the region and hopefully we'll have an oasis class ship that you'll be able to visit that <laughs> that all your listeners will be able to visit mm-hmm. but in the meantime i mean the quantum class is the premier ship uh, class in yes. in the region it's a beautiful class of ship it's probably my favorite class of ship um, and you know those are here in the region and and i think that your listeners would love to to experience that.
1: Mm, I think another new ship called Anthem of the Sea is yes. is homeporting out of Singapore next year so lots to watch in this space. Uh, thanks a lot but Hernandez, Senior VP at Royal Caribbean International, thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3.
0: Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance.